Well, it's good to be back with you all today. Um, I was with you all last week, although not physically. I was, uh, I'm very thankful for those three good looking guys in the sound booth. Um, and yeah, that got their attention. All of them look, well, Ben didn't ever look over. I've been good looking guys. Um, those guys do an awesome job. So I'm just, I'm glad I could be with you all, even if it wasn't physically. Um, so, yes, I'm very thankful for those guys, and it was, it was good to join you all through the live stream last week, and it was good to hear about how God, God works in people's lives, both as Laura shared um, last week and Chris shared last week, and um, I was thankful for my brother, I was thankful for Matt as he got up here and he shared, and you all can look at him again because he loved it so much that everybody looked at him during the church service that... Uh, <laughs> We're not friends anymore, I don't think, but um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it really was, it was encouraging to listen, listen to, uh, to hear about how Abraham's life, it, it speaks to our lives and how we can have faith even in the face of fear, even in the face of adversity. So I was, I, I really am, I'm appreciative um, to y'all who, who shared, um, who, to everybody who was a part of, of the service last week. I'm, I'm just very thankful. Um, so what I thought I would do to start today's, uh, today's message um, is I, I wanted to share a little bit about somebody who certainly had to overcome fear. Um, now, I don't want anybody to say who this person is, okay? If you know who he is, don't, don't tell anybody why he's famous just yet. I want to see if anybody actually knows. Does anybody know who John Newton is? Does anybody know who this guy is? Well, <laughs> of course, my kids are raising their hand. Um, they, they were the reason I actually found this. They were watching a, 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 I don't know, a TV show that basically followed his life. I thought it was pretty cool. But, and that's why I heard of John Newton. Does anybody know who he is? I see a couple heads being nodded, hand raised here or there. Okay. John Newton is probably most... Uh, okay, let me back up. Even if you don't know who John Newton is, y'all know his work. I guarantee... I think I can say just about every single person in this room is familiar with John Newton's work. Okay, y'all ever heard of this song, this little song called Amazing Grace? Y'all ever heard of that one? Nobody's heard of that one, okay. A few of you probably have heard of Amazing Grace. Yeah, yeah, Judah knows it. Judah, you want to sing it? No? Okay. That's too far. Okay, Amazing Grace. John Newton was the one who wrote Amazing Grace. As a matter of fact, um, he called it his sort of uh, autobiography. He was writing about his own life, about he was the wretch that that song is referring to. Now, we, we sing that song, and I hope you get it. You are the wretch that Amazing Grace has saved. Um, I hope you understand that. But he wrote that about himself. See, John Newton was born in 1725 to a shipmaster in London, England, um, which led to him working as a crew member of a ship at a very early age. As a matter of fact, he was 11 years old when he first started as a crew member on a ship. So 11 years old, went to sea. And through a series of circumstances, Newton ended up being forced into service in the Royal Navy. It wasn't his plan. As a matter of fact, he was planning to go to Jamaica and work at a plantation in Jamaica. But he was caught and forced into service in the Royal Navy. Now, his service, um, to say the least, was not a success. Um, it did not go well for Newton. Um, he tried to desert the Navy, and just so you know, that's not where you want to be. Um, he tried to desert the Navy, and he failed, and because of that, he was beaten um, pretty severely. He was given dozens and dozens of lashes while being tied to the mast of a ship, um, and he was beaten for it. So 
After that, he contemplated not only murdering his ship captain, but also contemplated his own suicide. But before he, had his, before he actually went through with that plan, Newton was transferred to a slave ship, which ended up leading him to a career in the slave trade. Um, so, as I said, Newton's life hasn't exactly started out the best. But as you could probably guess, things didn't go well for him there either. So now he's evolved in the slave trade, but he actually wound up being caught as he was in Sierra Leone and was actually put into slavery himself. He wound up serving as a slave of a slave trader's wife in Sierra Leone. Well, years later, he was rescued from slavery in Sierra Leone um, and was brought back to England. And it was on his trip back to England that he says he was converted he retells a, a story of him being in the middle of this storm, coming up to the deck of the ship and just crying out to God, saying, God, I don't deserve your grace. I am certainly not worthy, but Lord, show me you're real. And the storm was calmed. And it was there that Newton was converted to the Christian faith. Newton eventually left the slave trade altogether. He became an ordained clergyman in England, and he started working to abolish slavery. Um, it, Many of you have probably heard of William Wilberforce. Well, Wilberforce was influenced heavily by John Newton. The point of all this is, is that John Newton, his heart was broken. God broke Newton's heart in a pretty extraordinary fashion, really, which led him to working for those around him, those in need around him. Whenever God opened Newton's eyes, whenever he showed him his power, whenever he showed him his compassion for those around him, at that point, God pressed Newton into service. Um, as the church, we've been given a pretty extraordinary task. Uh, and we may not realize this all the time, but we have. We've been given a really pretty extraordinary task. Jesus, in some of his final words, he commissioned his disciples now, you're all familiar with the Great Commission. Most of you, at least, are probably familiar with the Great Commission, where Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. That is our task, which may seem overwhelming. It may seem daunting. Uh, I mean, we're told to go to all nations, to share the hope we have in Christ with all nations. And that is an extraordinary task. And if we're going to be successful in that mission, in that commission, if we're going to be successful in reaching the nations, I think we have to understand some things that I think John Newton probably knew, but Jesus explicitly teaches in today's text. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I hope that you do. Please open it with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 35, and we're going to overlap into chapter 10 today. Uh, would you all stand with me, and let's read God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35 today. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Summoning his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is, also, or who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. 
James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and, uh, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So if we're going to be successful, if we're going to be faithful, if we are going to reach the nations, if we're going to reach the nations and see this harvest that Jesus speaks of here, I think that we must understand these three truths. These truths regarding Jesus' mission and also our participation. I think we have to understand it. Um, I think we have to. First, we have to understand that our work to the nations must flow from God's compassion for the nations. I'm going to say that again because I think this is, this is very important. I know it's up here, but I want to read this again. Our work to the nations, our work to the nations must flow from God's compassion for the nations. Okay. Now, I want you to notice that as I said that, I didn't say that it must flow from our compassion for the nations. And I think that's important. I think it's important that we note that it's not our compassion for the nations. Jesus here, we see him, he is going around to all these towns and villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every sickness. And it's here that we get this Greek word that is kind of a funny word. Now, it looks pretty simple on the surface. And even in our English translations, it's very simple. It's the Greek word idon, which means he saw. It's very simple. But the way it's used here is, is kind of interesting. Um, Now, I'm not smart enough. I didn't know this on my own. I had to use a tool to to help me with this. But the way this word, this word edont, he saw here, it's used as a contemporaneous participle. Does that mean anything to anybody? Because it sure didn't mean anything to me whenever I first read it. Okay? Please don't think that I knew what that meant. So as I started reading a little bit further, the way this contemporaneous participle, what that means is that this text says that he saw these people as he was doing something else, as he was going around and doing this. While Jesus was on mission, he looked around and saw the incredible need of people around him while he was going. Another way that this text could be, could be translated would be while he was going around to these towns and villages, he saw the crowds. As he was doing this, he saw the crowds and how much they needed something. Now, another thing we need to note is that these were not, these were not exceptional people. These were everyday average Joes, just everyday people going about their business. Many of them, probably much like you and I, going back and forth to work, trying to make a living to provide for their families, caring for their families, loving on their families, trying to have some fun when they have some free time, and maybe even going back and forth to the synagogue to worship. And these are the people that Jesus sees. He sees these people. Now, we, we know, I, I, I hope you know this, there are people that have very real needs around the world. We know that, right? Are you all aware of that? Like there are people who are starving, dying of thirst, dying of preventable diseases. There are people in our community who have very real struggles. There are people in this room who have very real struggles, very real trouble. We know that, somewhat, in, somewhat instinctively we know that. We know that people have burdens, that they're harassed, distressed, that they're troubled, just like the people Jesus sees here. I think the problem is that we often just don't care. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Which is why I specifically said that our work to the nations must flow from God's compassion for the nations. 
on our own, we don't tend to be very compassionate. Some of you may be more compassionate to other, than others. I, I know that compassion is one of the things I struggle with. Um, I tend to be a little bit hard-headed about things. Um, I, I know that about myself, and I do my best not to. But the truth is, we need God's compassion for the nations. See, Jesus, really, whenever we say what he sees, Jesus sees the same thing as disciples are seeing, right? Like, physically sees the same things. His disciples are following Jesus. They're going where he's gone, right? So they see the same people Jesus is seeing. But Jesus has compassion on them. He sees them in a different way. He sees their needs. He sees their hurts. And he has compassion on them. See, when it comes to making disciples of nations, and I'm talking like all nations, and I'm talking big picture, like global, going to the nations, I don't believe that our biggest problem is that we, have, we don't have enough resources. I don't think that's our problem. I think we have resources. I don't think resources are our biggest problem. I don't believe that the biggest obstacle to reaching the nations is our strategy. We have very smart people who come up with some spectacular strategy. I don't even believe that the biggest obstacle is our abilities. I think we certainly have the ability to go to the nations, to make disciples of the nations. I certainly think we have ability. I think that the biggest obstacle we have to seeing the kingdom advance to the nations is our desire. I think it's a lack of compassion. I just don't think we care. Jesus looks and he has compassion. How do we fix it? Well, I think the solution is this. We need to see with God's eyes. We need to see what Jesus sees. What we need is what Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, where where it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. We need a new heart. We need a new spirit put in us. We need God's compassion. That's what we need. If we're going to be successful in reaching the nations, we have got to have God's compassion for the nations. That's the first thing he teaches here. We have to have it. If we're going to do that work, we have to have his compassion. Second truth that we find here is that prayer for the nations... Prayer for the nations is indispensable to reaching the nations. Prayer for the nations is indispensable to reaching the nations. Now, Jesus here, as he points out, he doesn't say, hey, here's this elaborate strategy, this six-point strategy for reaching the nations. He doesn't say, here's how we're going to make disciples of these people over here. He doesn't say that, does he? Instead, what he says he says, is, I'm grieved. it says that he's grieved over these people because they're in this pitiful state, because they're lost, they're troubled, they're dejected, and he has compassion on them. And then he follows it with this statement in verse 37. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Just get this picture, right? Jesus sees all of these people look like average people going about their business. We know they have troubles. Sure, we know that. But he sees these average people going about their business. And then Jesus says this thing where he uses this metaphor of the harvest, right? He says, I want to bring them in. These people are the harvest. We want to draw them in. We want to bring them in so that they are with us. That's what he's telling them. Now, some of y'all are farmers and you get this metaphor really well. Like, I know we got farmers in the room. You understand this. There is a harvest and you need to go bring it in. Y'all get that. Problem is... The combine head that you're using looks like this one here. 
Isn't that cute? Yeah, a little three-row combine head. Now, here's the problem. The harvest is abundant. The harvest is huge. Okay, you take this thing out here, and you got thousands and thousands of acres, and you have had the perfect weather all summer long, and you're ready to go harvest. You ever going to get it done with that? Ever? Probably not. Probably not. This is an abundant harvest. See, what we need is something better than that. See, Jesus is saying that the harvest is so great, we need to go to the Lord of the harvest, the one that has resources, has better equipment, has others to go to the fields. Instead of this little three-row head that we have here, maybe we need to upgrade to a couple of these guys. Maybe we need something that looks more like that. Maybe then we can get something done. Maybe we can start moving a little bit. Now, just so you all know, I use John Deere just because they were easy to find online. I don't care if you farm green, red, yellow, purple, blue. I don't, I don't care. I really genuinely don't care. Some of you are like, you should have put case on there. I don't care. Okay. The point is size here. That was what I was getting at. All right. But the point Jesus is making here, the point he's making is not that we need a better strategy on how we're going to run our three-row corn head through the field. That's not what we need. We need to go to the Lord of the harvest, the one that has the resources to send better equipment to the field. Send more equipment to the field. Send it out. Jesus is saying that we need to go to the master, to the Lord, and ask for the equipment we need to bring in the harvest. That's what he says to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. But let's go back to Jesus' terms here so that way we don't have to look at combines anymore. Let's go back to his words, okay? Jesus here, he says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? If you're an NIV reader, it doesn't say pray. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Either way, neither one of those translations I think is the best. See, I think in our English translations, most of this language is pretty weak. But in the Greek, it's not weak. He uses very strong language here, in fact. Um, Most of the time, whenever you see the word pray in your New Testament, it's usually this funny word, prosyukomai, which means to prostrate yourself before your master. It means to lay down in front of him. But that's not the word that he uses here. Now, Matthew could have easily used that word when retelling what Jesus said. He could have easily said prosyukomai, but he didn't. He didn't use that word. Now, he used it 14 times throughout his, throughout his gospel, but instead, he uses this other word. It's deomai. He uses this word deomai, which means to ask, request, beg, pray, or plead. Jesus uses a more emphatic word here. There's an emphasis here on needing to go to the Lord. Not just ask, not just pray, but plead with the Lord of the harvest. Beg the Lord of the harvest. Fall on your face and just plead with him. Again, go to God asking him to break your heart for the loss is what he says. Send workers to the nations. Lord, please, how often do we do this? How often do we really go to God and beg him to send people to the loss? How often do we do that? Actually fall on our faces like, when was the last time you wept because you knew that there were people who were going to die apart from the gospel? Do we care? Here he says, pray, plead with, beg the Lord of the harvest to send workers to the harvest. Beg him, plead with him. Do everything you can. Strive to see God send people out. Certainly we go and we ask him, send those out. Because they're going to die and go to hell apart from the gospel. Apart from the good news, they have no hope. That's why he says, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And again, there's no force here in our English. 
There's no force. Like, ask the Lord of the harvest to send them out. Okay, again, that's fine. Technically, that's true. But there's no force in our English translations. This word send out in Greek is this another fun word. And I, I don't like throwing a lot of Greek words at you because typically it doesn't matter. But in this case, we miss the emphasis of this passage if we don't understand this. So he says, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out. And the second word here, the second word here is ekbalo. Okay, this word is ekbalo. Whenever he says send out, it's this ekbalo. It means to expel, drive out, or throw out. Actually, this is a compound word. There's actually two words here. The first word is ek, that first, those first two letters. It's ek, which means out, and then balo, which means to throw. I always remember that like there's a ball, you're throwing the ball, right? So he says throw it out, throw them out. He says beg the Lord of the harvest to throw out workers into the harvest, to expel them into the harvest, send them out with force. Church, look, we think, okay, well, we, we're, we've been sent out into the world, and we get this nice fuzzy picture, this nice warm picture, like, okay, we're going to go, and it's going to be nice. We're going to be sent out. We're going to send people on their way. We want to send people out. No, what Jesus tells them to pray for is that, there, that these workers would be thrust forward into the harvest, that they would be pushed forward into the harvest, that they would be thrown out into the harvest, like with force behind them. See, whenever you throw a ball, some of you may throw it real nice and gentle. That's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about those people, who, those kids that just first start learning how to play ball, um, and you know they come as far as I am from Danielle right here, and they throw the ball as hard as they can at them. That's what we need to see. We need to see, not, I don't want to throw a ball at you. Um, I'm talking about like we need to not hold back. We need to thrust one another forward. We need to expel. As a matter of fact, this word send out, this word ekbalo, it's often used for exercising demons. Whenever Jesus exercises demons, he's not like, oh, well, if you would please nicely go out of them. No, he demands that they go. Church, we think about mission. We think about going to the nations. and We're like, well, we need to send people along. No, we need to thrust people forward. Send them out. Throw them forward. I don't want to see people lacking for resources whenever we have them. I don't want to see people lacking for prayer when we can pray. I don't want to see people lacking for teams of people to go and assist them when we can do that. Let's thrust people forward to the nations. Or even if you want to say, okay, I cannot possibly go around the world right now. Okay, fine. Well, then we need to thrust one another down the street, across the street for some of us. I'm just as guilty as anybody because I tend to not care. What we need, though, is God's compassion and then pray that God would thrust us forward, throw us out into his harvest. And that's what he says here. He says, let's deomai, pray, plead, beg that God would thrust forward, that he would ekbalo people, throw them out into his harvest. Jesus doesn't pray for anything casual here. He prays for something forceful. And we need to do likewise. I think we should pray that God would place such a burden for the lost on our hearts that believers can't do anything but go. We can't do anything but go to those who need the gospel. So we must pray that God would thrust workers from churches around the world so that the gospel would go where it must go, and that is to all nations. We should pray for that. And again, you may not think that you can go, but I promise you can pray. I promise that you can pray. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples to do first. Pray. All right? That's what he tells them to do. Now, I've mentioned this resource before, and I'll probably mention it again and again and again. You all are going to get tired of hearing the same thing again and again and again, but I really don't care. So 
Yeah, there you go. Now, if you're looking for it later, I'll try to remember to go onto our Facebook stream and I'll try to drop a link to this in here because I think it's that good. Um, my family uses this app called Joshua Projects Unreached of the Day. Um, it's a very simple app. It's incredibly simple. If you all have a smartphone, you can use it there. You have a computer, you can click on the link and it'll take you to their website. It's very simple. And what this app does is it reminds us that there are billions of people around the globe who need to hear the gospel or they're going to spend eternity separated from God. It's that simple. It tells you about a people group each day. It tells you a little bit about them. It tells you how you can pray for them. It's incredibly simple. Very simple. But if we say we care for the, for the lost, for the unreached, those people who haven't heard the gospel, those people who have little or no access to the gospel, if we say we really care, the least we should do is the church. The absolute bare minimum, by the way, that shouldn't be your goal, but the absolute bare minimum that we should do is try to learn a little something about them and pray for them and pray that God would send workers to them. Like, that's a bare minimum, church. Now, make no mistake, I'm saying it's a bare minimum, but prayer is not a small thing. I know that the way I just frame that can frame prayer like it's just some little task that doesn't really mean much. I would actually argue quite the opposite. Prayer is indispensable from reaching the nations. It may not seem like an overly difficult, but make no mistake, it is a powerful thing. So, what we need to know is that our work to the nations has to flow from God's compassion for the nations. Because if we're waiting on our own compassion, we're probably never going to reach the nations. And the second thing we have to understand is that prayer is indispensable. We must pray for the nations if we're going to see the nations reached. And whenever I say nations, I just want to make this clear. Maybe I should have done this earlier. Whenever I say nations, I certainly mean around the world. I mean every people group around the globe. That's what I mean whenever I say nations. But I'm also talking about the people group that's down the street. Uh, I mean all people. All peoples. So we have to pray for the nations if we're going to reach the nations. Third thing we need, the third truth that we find here is that praying for the nations will lead us to sending to the nations. Praying for the nations will lead to sending to the nations. Chapter 9 ends, but I believe this thought continues on into chapter 10. Jesus tells them to pray, and then I think it's interesting that he says, pray for workers to be sent into the harvest, and those who are praying for workers to be sent into the harvest are the very ones who are sent to the harvest. Some of you are thinking, I'm not praying for the harvest anymore because I don't want to be sent to the harvest. That is a terrible attitude to have. So there you go. Most of our contemporary scholars, most of them that I read, they would argue that Jesus here, he's actually talking to a larger group than the 12 whenever he says pray for the harvest. And then he summons the 12 to himself and specifically sends them. But one thing I've learned time and time again is that whenever we start praying for people, we learn that God is often working more on us than he is on others. I know I've found that to be true. Um, I'd just like to share my experience for just a moment and then I'll come back to this. See, I learned this truth kind of the hard way, really. Um, Steph and I, we moved to Texas. Most of you all knew that. We came back and we visited for a time and we were planning to move back already. Um, Still not sure what was going to happen or what we were going to do. But whenever we came back, there was actually um, a classmate of mine who had had died. Um, It was kind of a tragic thing. There was a lot of of stuff around it. But this young lady in her her early 30s had just just died. Um, And we went to this funeral... And I remember going to this funeral, and as we were sitting there, we looked around, and I remember seeing that there was no hope. Like, people were confused. How could this happen to somebody so young? Why, 
why is all, why, what's the point? Like, what, why is this happening? And there was, these people were troubled. These people were dejected. These people were lost and just, there was no hope. Um, a lot of uncertainty. I remember we saw that. But then those people who thought that they had an answer, those people who thought that they had some certainty, well, they were relying on something that certainly wasn't biblical. I remember hearing people talk about how, well, she's an angel now. She's floating around on this cloud. Like, no, she's not. That's not what the Bible says. That's just not true. So you may have hope, but it's a false hope. So what are you really trusting in here? What do, what do we do? And we saw that there was no real hope. There was nothing. And God used that to break our hearts. Like, I started praying that God would send somebody to northwest Missouri. <laughs> here we are serving in northwest Missouri. Turns out God broke our heart as we started praying for somebody to be sent to these people. Which is why we're still here. See, God, God often, as we start praying for people who need the gospel, people who need hope, people who need healing, often what we find is God is working on our heart to send us, to send you and me. Please, I want to pray that God would send workers forward, understanding that that means that he may be looking to send us forward. Um, I've been here at Christian Fellowship for about two and a half years now. And I've shared this with some of y'all. I think I may have even said this from the platform once. But I've been praying that God would send vocational missionaries from Christian fellowship. Like, raise up people from our church family to be sent forward. I, I pray for that. And I've been praying for that for two and a half years. And I, I still pray for that. I hope that God is sending, working on people to send them to the nations. But that's only going to happen as we start praying for the nations. We need to begin to see that God's picture is much bigger than here. And even if you don't go to India with the gospel, even if you don't go to Indonesia with the gospel, even if you don't go to Afghanistan with the gospel or wherever, again, you can go down the street. If we're not going, I don't know that we believe what we say we believe. So Jesus here, chapter ends, he tells them to pray. And then chapter 10, he summons these 12 to send them out. And notice what he tells them to do. He tells them to do the very same thing that Jesus himself was doing. He tells them to do the same thing, right? It, you'll find these same things listed if you go back to chapter 4, verse 23, or we just read them in chapter 9, verse 35. We don't need to overcomplicate what we're supposed to do when we're on mission. I mean, strategy is not a bad thing. Don't misunderstand. But we don't need to overcomplicate it. Jesus tells us what to do. We do what our master did. We do exactly what he did as he was on mission, as he was working in the harvest. We follow our master. Right? We preach, we teach, we pray for healing, we bring healing to people. All because that's what our master did. That's what Jesus tells his people to do, right? Go. He gave them authority over demons, over disease. He sends them out. He thrusts them forward with his authority behind them. Now, too often, we focus too heavily on one area or the other. We focus heavily on proclamation of the gospel to the point where like, we don't, people don't need clean water. They need the gospel. That's true. But the truth is, they're not going to hear you about the gospel until they have clean water. I don't think it's that hard. Too often we focus too heavily on one area or the other. I don't think this is an either-or approach that's needed here. I think we need a both-and approach where we both care for people physically and we care for people spiritually by taking them the gospel. It's not one or the other. It's both. The last thing I want to point out about this here is that Matthew lists these 12 men who were apostles. Right? He calls them apostles. This is the first time in Matthew they're referred to as apostles. Um, okay. Now, 
Do I believe that there are still people who have an apostolic calling? I do. But let's distinguish between big A apostles and little A apostles, okay? Understand you're not an apostle like one of the 12, and if you say you are, you're just wrong. Sorry. No, I'm not. Um, you're, just, you're not like the big A apostles here. There were a few who witnessed Jesus, who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, who saw the resurrected Jesus. That's what I mean whenever I talk about a big A apostle. But do I believe that there are those who are sent out, which is what uh, the word apostle means? It's one who is sent forward. Do I believe that there are still those? Absolutely, I believe that there are modern-day apostles. Yes, absolutely I do. I believe that there are those who are sent out. But these 12 men here who are sent out, named as apostles, they would go, they would go out, and we could talk an awful lot about the way they're listed here in Matthew, but I think we miss the point whenever we talk about where they sent in pairs, are these three groups of four, why is Peter's name always first? We could talk about that, and it would be fun, but it misses the point. Well, I think what's more important is that he lists these men because they're not spectacular men. These are not spectacular men. You can see one of them's called a zealot. I mean, not spectacular. One of them is a tax collector, and he specifically says, Matthew, the tax collector. These were not extraordinary men. These were average guys who had been given an extraordinary task. And why were they given this task? Well, first of all, because Jesus wanted to give it to them. That's the simplest answer. But another answer would be because they prayed with Jesus for workers to be thrust forward. Why were they sent? Because they were praying that the harvest would be abundant and that they would see people sent to that harvest. That's why they were thrust forward. They've been given the burden of Jesus' heart for the lost. What's the point? Well, church, as, as we pray... As we pray for the lost, we must be aware of the ways that God has commanded us, like you and me. We have to be aware of the way that God has commanded us to take the gospel to the nations. And understand that he may be working on you more than he's working on the person sitting next to you. Pray that God would send workers to the nations. So what? Well, at a very minimum, like bare bones minimum, we should be praying pleading, begging the Lord of the harvest, begging him to send workers. Like, very minimum, that's what we should do. We must begin to see that if we aren't praying for the nations, like the lost, both here and around the globe, we've already failed. If we're not praying for the nations, we haven't done our job. We already failed. We must be praying for the nations, because that's exactly what Jesus tells his disciples to do here. Pray to the Lord of the Harvest. Plead with the Lord of the Harvest. Look, we don't have the resources. If I'm just being honest, we don't have the resources to send people to every unreached people group around the globe. I thought it was interesting. I mentioned Joshua Project. I looked. They have an estimate on how many workers would be needed to take the gospel to all the people groups around the world. And they break it up by people group, how many need to go to each area. Um, just so you know, the, the total was over 70,000. Um, like 70,000 people would need to be sent to different areas of the globe in order to reach all peoples. We don't have the resources for that, do we? I mean, just, no, there's like 100 people in the room. Okay, we don't have 70,000 people that we can mobilize right now on this. But we know the one who does have the resources. We know a good God who has unlimited resources, who can reach people today. Which is why Jesus doesn't say, go on your own. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. As we consider mission, we have to plead with the Lord of the harvest to send from his unlimited resources to accomplish incredible things through ordinary people. That's what we need to pray for, that God would thrust workers out into his harvest. 
So what I want to encourage you with today is I want to share, I want, I want to encourage you to share the gospel, to pray that God would send workers to every area of the globe. And then I want to urge you, pay attention, pay attention to how God breaks your heart for those in need. Pay attention to how God is breaking your heart, how he's giving you his heart for those in need. Today, um, actually, we're going to do something a little bit different here in just a moment. I'm going to pray, and we have, uh, we have some special visitors who, who um, are going to come and share with us here in just a moment about their work that they're, they're a part of to the nations, um, specifically to Haiti. Um, but I just want to encourage you to listen because these are, I believe these are people who have gone where God has broken their hearts to go. God has urged them to go. So I would like to pray, and then I'm going to invite, uh, invite them up to share. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I'm just, I'm just in awe of how you reaffirm again and again the work that you've called us to. Um, Lord, I, even when I get distracted by things that seem trivial, you have this way of drawing us back to the point. Lord, I just pray that today, today especially, you would start to work on us. That we, as we pray, that you would send workers. And Lord, that's what we ask. We ask that you would send workers. But as we pray for that, Lord, I pray that you would work on us. That we would have a desire to go to the nations. Both down the street and those halfway around the globe. Lord, I pray that you would work on us. Um, Father, as I consider the billions of people. And I mean billions. um, Even the most most liberal estimates would still suggest that there's over 3 billion people who are going to die apart from your grace. And Lord, so as I consider those people, I just pray that you would break our hearts for the fact that they're going to die and spend eternity separated from you, all while we have the good news that they need. Father, I just, I just pray, I pray that you would send workers forward. Father, I pray that you would send workers from our church family or that you would send workers forward so that we might see the lost saved, that we could see people glorify you in every corner of the globe. Father, do the work that only you can do. Um, Father, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word that reminds us to be thrust forward, to thrust others forward. Uh, I want to pray for the Buncey family as they're preparing to come and share. I pray that you would give them words to speak. Lord, and I pray that uh, we might be an encouragement to them, that we might be able to support them, um, Lord, and I just pray that they would do incredible work to see people uh, brought to your kingdom, see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the good news that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve, was raised for our justification so that we might have life and glorify a good God. So, Father, we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 